coming to a passage today. Well, if you have your Bible, turn to Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter thirty-two, Second Chronicles thirty-two, and um, I'm going to pray again um, because the Lord has a lot of work to do. I think in us this morning, the Lord's already been at work. I think He wants to go further uh, and do some serious surgery on us this morning too. So let's pray um, at this time. Lord, we just come again and ask that You would be with our hearts. Uh, not only as we hear circumstances around us, but also as you sit us down for a moment and and uh, give us a true look into our heart circumstance. We're so blind to it so often. We need your help, Lord. We pray that you would put our eyes on Jesus to hear from his word. I pray that you would guard my mouth and my mind and my heart to say only what you've ordained. Help me to be careful, Lord. But we pray that you would do your work this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Chronicles 32. Before I get in there, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to say it out front. I am going to try to make you mad today. I'm, I'm not even joking around. I am going to try to make you mad. Now, that is not my goal. My goal is to not make you mad. My goal is always Jesus. My goal is that you would come to him and submit everything. But today, I'm going to step on some toes. Um, not that I am doing that. I believe the Lord is doing that for all of us that because today is a hard word today is a hard word. So second Chronicles chapter 36, let me give you or 32. Let me give you a little background to what's been going on in case you haven't been with us. We've been looking at the life of Hezekiah from all things that we've seen so far. Hezekiah seems like a great guy. It always talks about his heart and how his heart was so great. That's because the Lord was at work in his heart. The Lord was great in him. We saw last week how he had had this very, uh, deathly, illness come upon him, this boil that was causing him to, to suffer. And so the prophet Isaiah even was called in and he gave a word and, and um, what, prayed over him and Hezekiah was healed. And we saw that Hezekiah came to a place of thanking the Lord for it. But there was one snippet that we didn't get to. Uh, one snippet that I think the Thanksgiving that Hezekiah expressed probably came after today's snippet, but it's something that we need to hit because um, Hezekiah, even, even at this point in his life, after having a great resume before the Lord, has a problem. So we're going to hit that problem today. If you would read with me in Second Chronicles, chapter 32, beginning in verse 24. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death, and he prayed to the Lord and he answered him and gave him a sign. That's what we saw last week, that he was given a sign. It says in verse 25, but Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done him for his heart was proud. Therefore, wrath came upon him and Judah and Jerusalem. But Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Hezekiah had happened in his life, what occurs in a lot of our lives, where we get sick or we come into a crisis and we go before the Lord and we ask for help. And the Lord oftentimes brings somebody or brings his word or brings reassurance, brings a healing. And we have been blessed by that healing. We're given recovery. We we see how great it is and we go on. We saw that in Hezekiah, but it says in this passage. That Hezekiah. Did not give the return to the Lord. That was in accordance with the benefit that had been given him. What that means is even as Hezekiah was healed from his illness, as he went forward, he did not give back to God the thanks that was due to him. 
It says that the reason that occurred was because his heart was proud. What it means is this. There was something inside Hezekiah's heart that said God wasn't the only one that healed me. I had a role in this. Pride was stealing from God. Pride was taking that opportunity to say, I defeated this. It was pride. Pride is at the heart of every sin that you and I do. There is not one sin that you've ever done where pride is not the root of that thing. Pride is the central nervous system of all sin. Whatever you've done, it's always started with pride. That's the same that happened with Satan. It's the same that happened with Adam and Eve. And it's the same that happens with you and I. It's always, always, always pride. We somehow think we've done it. We're as good as God. We're better than God. We don't need God. It is pride. And the hard thing about pride is we're always the last one to see it. Maybe everybody else can see it or we're always the last one. It reminds me of um, when I was in high school, we had a band teacher. He was really good at what he did. He knew music inside and out. And, uh, but he had a rough time trying to control students. And so students harassed him a lot. Uh, but I remember one day, you know, he thought a lot of himself too. But um, I don't know if the Lord was doing this for justice. But I remember one day he was on a stage much like this in front of the band. And he stood there with his hands in his pockets. And as he spoke, he would rise up and he would. He was just enjoying the moment and how much power he had. But little did he know that his fly was down. There he was as the teacher. He knew everything. He knew the music. He was leading us. He was great. And yet what he didn't know was his fly was down. And at some point in that day, you got to know that he went away and he was the last one to know that his fly was down. And it's the same thing with pride. You will stand up on your pedestal, whatever it is, and you will say, I got away with it. I was the one who accomplished it. I've gotten myself this far. I was the one who healed myself. I did the I did the regimen. It was me. You'll stand there with pride and you'll be the last one to know it. Hezekiah, in the midst of getting a healing, did not return thanks to the Lord, but there was something in his heart that said, I had a part in this. I helped heal myself. It says his heart was full of pride and the Lord came with a word and somehow indicated to Hezekiah, hey, I see something in your heart that needs to be dealt with. It's worse than the boil that was on your body. It is in the midst of your soul and it cannot be there. Pride cannot be in your heart because the moment that pride is in your heart, that means you've given the throne of your heart less room for Jesus. Jesus must be everything. God must be everything. And yet we see throughout our lives, pride get in. Our culture does a very good job of masking our pride because we often celebrate pride. This happens in all sorts of circumstances and, and one that comes up often that now here's the first toes to be stepped on. When somebody has cancer and they have been healed, and they go on. We call them survivors, right? But the language that we have now surrounded that says you fought it, you beat it, right? Right. See, as much as we would say, even as Christians, we saw how the Lord worked for the survivors. We say you beat it. We're actually feeding them and giving them medication to be more prideful. 
We're buying into that. And I know right now some people are like, wait a second, you're talking about a loved one. You're talking about me. Yeah. And I'm talking about me. See, there's not one of us who can sit here and say, I've never done that. We somehow get within ourselves the pride of doing those things. And, and we make it difficult for each other because we live in a culture that does that, whether we're talking about surviving cancer or next week. I got to tell you, I'm very, very nervous for whoever becomes lady of the year. Why? Because we bring them onto a stage and decorate them and say, look what a great year you had. Now, I have no doubt that whoever wins, God used that they have have used their gifts and they have sacrificed and they have done things that you and I may have never known. And in secret, they have they have been helping in the ministry of Unity Church. But the moment you bring somebody on stage and give them a bouquet and put a crown on their head and say, you're the one. What have we done for them? Pray for that woman. Pray for that woman. Because we do that with all of life. Our culture is geared that way. That's why when somebody scores a touchdown, they suddenly have a championship belt and we celebrate it. That's why in everything that we do, everything, we prop people up and we prop them up and we prop them up. And God says, where am I? Where, why am I not being propped up? When I am your everything. You said I'm everything to you, then, then why am I not being propped up in your life? Hezekiah, when you were healed, why do you not give back thanks? It's because I have not been propped up as everything in your life. See, God doesn't ask for us to lift him up into a pretty good role. He asks for us to lift him up into the everything role. He is everything. He's everything. I was so delighted we were at school the other day. And uh, Katie had met uh, the day previous this, this couple that comes in. And in their retired living, they come to the school and they, they volunteer to help the kids learn how to garden. And so she, Katie had hit it off with this couple really well and she said you got to meet this couple well just so happened the next day we had gone in to bring cupcakes for jude's birthday and for his class and so we're in the office and lo and behold that couple was there and they go to a church i don't know somewhere up in smithfield and so we were talking with them and i said man i'm i'm so thankful you have a green thumb because i can't grow anything i love coffee and i'm killing my coffee plants like i don't have a green thumb you you are great and they you know what they said they said we don't do a thing I mean, we water and we fertilize and we do these things. But they said this, we don't do a thing. It is God who makes a plant grow. And I was so blessed by that because they could have said, yeah, we're showing kids how to do it. Or, yeah, we've got away with plants and none of our things ever die. But what they said is there was no way that one plant in all the world, any plant would ever grow if it wasn't for God. He is absolutely everything. Then why do I think? That I should take credit for any accomplishments. Even Paul said within the church, one minister comes and plants, another minister comes and waters, but it is God who makes the church grow. It is God who does the work in your soul. It is God who heals you from cancer. It is God who does everything in the midst of your life. He is everything. Everything. He's God. This morning I went into my office and I know going into a sermon like this, it's going to be hard because I'm I'm dealing with the, the brute force of God's discipline upon us, knowing that it's going to smack the congregation, knowing that I'm the first one in the congregation that's going to get smacked in the face. So I knew this morning God was going to deal with me. 
I walked into my office. It was early. I walked in there. It was dark because it was still dark outside. I go in there and I sit down. Now I, I take my chair and I face it right out the window that faces east. I sat in that chair and I read the passage and I looked up. There on the horizon coming from between neighbors' houses and through trees that grew was this penetrating light. It was a beautiful, brilliant orange. Just magnificent where it overtook my window, the neighborhood, and my eyes. I was just drawn to it. It was the sun. And I looked across and I realized that as I looked through those trees and between the neighbor's houses and looked at that orange sun, that thousands of years ago, God had said, let there be light. And over 92 million miles away from earth, there was a big ball of fire that was stuck in the universe. It's so far from earth and so gargantuan that it took eight minutes for that orange light from when it started to when it met my eyeballs. It takes that long for the light to travel from the sun to the earth. That sun with all of its energy and all of its strength and its power gives energy to this world. You and I would not be living if you weren't helped by the heat of the sun right now. All that huge ball of fire. What I realized in that moment was, how could I sit before a God who made that son and say that I have done anything? Who am I to sit before him and to say that I had any part in any of this? For though I may exert myself and fumble around in life and swing a hammer or do any type of work or do or this or that. It is God who makes it grow. It is God who gives life. It is God who forgives. It is God. It is God. It is God. It must be totally him or else there creeps in pride. It just comes in just like that. Pride will kill you. The opposite of that is in the passage it said that Hezekiah in his heart became humble. We look at pride, we say, well, how do I get rid of it? Let me, let me draw it out like a component, just get rid of it. But the secret to getting rid of pride isn't something down, some way hunting down that sin. It's actually taking in more of Jesus. John the Baptist said, I must decrease and Jesus must increase. He knew that the secret wasn't just getting rid of something, but the secret to being humble was to actually consuming more of Jesus. I want more of him. He is everything. I must have more of Jesus. He has to be central to it all. Has to be him. Imagine. Imagine the most beautiful diamond in the world. It's huge and it's gorgeous. It sparkles. It's brilliant. And it sits there in its display, right? And in the display, you don't just leave it out there in the open, but you have this glass case that's over it. Now you come to look at that diamond and that glass case has mud on it, dirt and grime, 
makes it difficult to see what's actually precious on the inside. What if that window casing on the outside said, you know what? I want to be special. Clean me off. Begin to clean, clean that case on the outside. And the case on the outside says, now I'm getting really sparkly. Now people are going to come into the, into the midst of this display. And they're going to see me. Why? Because I'm sparkly glass. Does that make any sense? No. Why? The glass needs to be clean, not so that the glass can be seen. The glass needs to be clean so that the diamond can be seen. You in your life need to be clean and clear of pride, not so that you can be seen, but so that Jesus can be seen. The thing that's in you that is precious is Jesus. All that he is. You were made in his image. That's what's so great about you. It's wonderful. But the moment you begin to try to press on yourself your own image apart from God, you become that window that is trying to gain all the attention rather than the diamond inside. Jesus is central. I'll be the first to admit I'm a man of pride. My wife just said to me this morning, she said, I remember when I first met you, you were a very prideful man. And then we both looked at each other and I realized in that moment, this is one of those gifts of why God gives a man a wife. We suddenly realized in that moment that I still am. I remember in high school, I was a freshman. And I became the class prince. At homecoming. After the basketball game, they had this display and they would march out each of the class princes. So my freshman year, I was the prince and I walked out there with the freshman princess. And we stood there and we had our pictures. Then I became a sophomore. Homecoming game was over. They put up the great display. And once again, Jason was the class prince. Walked out there with the princess. Junior year came. That's right. Class prince again. In 22 people, I was the prince. It was a small school. Freshman, junior, or freshman, sophomore, junior year, I was the class prince. So in the senior year, this is it. Because senior year, the seniors had three princes, but one of the princes would be voted king. So senior year, homecoming game. Put up the display. The princes walk out. Yeah, I'm a senior prince. So I stand there and they bring out the envelope just like the Oscars. And I remember they open the envelope and I'm, I'm ready. They're going to crown me the king. And they read the name and I, it was like an Oscar moment. I thought surely they had the wrong envelope because you know why in that moment they called the name of my best friend. I remember being jealous. I remember suddenly accounting for, but look at all the things that I've done. Versus look at all the things that he's done. But as I reflect on this years later, it seems so silly. I was a young man of pride. You know what's interesting about that? When I think about it years later and my, my best friend who became the king. When I think about that year of his life. What God did in him. 
He was not a young man where he was playing athletics for himself. He was not doing service projects for himself. God had gotten a hold of his life that year. And in the midst of God getting a hold of his life, he just he just elevated as a young man, not where he was trying to gain for himself things, but as a person who is being a vessel for God, that in everything he did, whether it was on the basketball court or whether it was in the classroom or whether it was with a friend or somebody who needed a friend, that Ben was willing to be an empty vessel where God was working through so that God could be displayed in other people's life. And as a result, just like the book of James says, when you humble yourself, God will exalt you, not so that you can be celebrated as king, but so that he can see in you like the diamond that he is. Ben at that moment was a clear display and I sat on the side as a prideful young man saying, I want that crown. It was all about Jesus. Hezekiah was so great all through his life and he gets to the end and boom. Here is this issue of pride. And you know the thing about pride in somebody that God loves? He will discipline you. And it'll be for things that you'll look at him and say, but I thought you liked this. Because I hear a lot of times people will say, you know how many times I've read my Bible? I would stop that if I were you. I'm not saying stop reading your Bible. I would say stop keeping count. It's not about you and how many times you read your Bible. Well, I grew up in the church. Or maybe I should hit home and say it like this. Well, I grew up in the church. Because it's not just about men, it's men and women. Even when we do the things that we're apparently supposed to, we often capture those things and say, now look how good I am. I'm sure God's going to be impressed. You know what? He hung a ball of fire 93 million miles away. Do you think he's impressed with how many times you've read your Bible? No, he's not. But when you say, Lord, look at that ball in the sky. Look how you rid my body of cancer. Look how you've given me a place to minister. And then you prostrate yourself before him and say, and now I can't get enough of you. That's the place to be. On your face before God saying you're everything I need you. If you're prideful, what he'll do out of his love is he'll discipline you. And he'll begin to strip away those things of pride. You know the thing that beats pride? It's actually not humility. The thing that beats pride is the same thing that you prayed for when you came to faith. It's grace. If you are proud, you need the grace of God. I shouldn't say if. Because you're proud, you need the grace of God. If God comes and you're the last one to notice that your fly was open, what I mean by that is you're the last one to realize that you're full of pride. The thing that you should do in this moment is to say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I need your grace. I need you to constantly remind me of my place, that you are the king and I am the servant. You are the diamond and I'm just the window to look through. You are the creator of all things, not only the son, but also of me. And right now I need your grace. Would you just show me what it is to be humble, that Jesus would be everything. And I would be nothing. 
You want to be used by God? Get rid of your pride. You want to stop being grumpy all the time? Get rid of your pride. You want to understand how God sees the world? Get rid of your pride and then you will see the pride of all the world and why it is that God will destroy it. And then be thankful that his desire is not to destroy you, but by his grace, his desire is to save you. And then go in that repentant, humble heart and say, Lord, okay, let me serve you. Whatever it is that you want. Whatever it is that you want, Lord, it's yours. Father, it was not because of pride that Jesus came at your command, but it was because of his humility. That even if the King of Heaven would empty his rights, his entitlements, and all the blessings that he had, and would leave those things to come to earth. As the scripture says, we pray that he would be our example. And so at this time, God, we pray for your grace. That you would come and work on our hearts against our pride. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to not only guard our own hearts, but help us to know how to guard the hearts of one another, Lord. That in everything, whether we're talking about our church or Camp Dixie or fundraisers or or healing or accomplishments and ministries, Lord, that it would not be about us. It would all be about you. We pray that through our lives, people would see Jesus. We pray that in our lives, we would see Jesus. Humble us, Lord. So that you can be our all in all. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Jesus left heaven. None of us can ever look back at God and say, well, you don't know what it's like. Jesus left heaven. It says he came to earth and he took on flesh and he took on blood. And then it says that he went and he died for you and me. The greatest sign of humility is one who would give up their life. And the response to that, when God extends his grace to you, is, is to say, okay, I'm not, I'm not mine anymore. God, I give you my life. By your grace, would you wash me? By your grace, would you sustain me? By grace, would you show me what to do each and every day? And so this morning, if you're struggling, well, what do I do before God? Just throw yourself at his feet. You know what people would do when they came into the presence of the king? They would get down as low as they could. This morning, as the Lord is working in your heart and wrenching on you, your pride, get as low as you can. And I don't mean bodily. Some some people will come down here and you'll bow and you'll, you'll physically get down. That's fine if the Lord leads you. But in your heart, go low. Get before the Lord and say, Lord, make me nothing so that you can be everything in my life. Come this morning. As we sing this morning, come. Go to the Lord and get low. Bring your heart Lord, low and say, Lord, I need your grace.